Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that move. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. Go. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right, another week, and we're doing one final Eagles draft recap as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 242. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with our friend NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell to talk about the Eagles draft class of 2020 and how they fit into the structure of both Doug Peterson and Jim Schwartz's schemes. Let's not waste any more time. I want to jump right in here. It's time now for Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, fired up to welcome back to the show our friend, NFL film senior producer, Greg Cosell. Greg, I hope the draft treated you well. It was a a little bit different than what we normally do, but uh, just still a a crazy event, a great event put on by the NFL uh, just a couple weeks ago. I kind of enjoyed it, Fran. You know, my my wife came in and watched a little of it. She said it's like the draft on Pluck, and it was kind of fun. You know, I I really enjoyed seeing the kids in their home, in their environment, with their family. You know, I thought due to that, the reactions were a lot more real to me, uh, you know, as opposed to what what they are when the players come up and they see the commissioner. I'm not suggesting that's not real, but, you know, there's there's sort of a a Hollywood element to that. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool seeing the kids with their families. Yeah, there was uh, certainly a lot of passion in there. And then, you know, just too, like, I thought it was good TV kind of bouncing around. Uh, yep. I thought that, and I thought too that the broadcast, uh, you know, for ESPN and for uh, NFL Network, those guys joining forces for the broadcast, I thought they did a great job. So, yep. um, no, just a, a really fun event uh, all, you know, through, from through and through. Uh, really fun to kind of take that in. But uh, you were here today not to talk about the broadcast or the event, but to talk about uh, the, the big takeaways here from the Eagles, from the Hall, that they come away with 10 picks in the 2020 NFL draft. And, uh, we'll start at the very top. We'll start with Jalen Rager, the wide receiver from TCU. And I want to pair in the other two receivers as well with John Hightower from Boise State and yes. Quez Watkins from Southern Miss. They can factor into this conversation as well. But uh, overall, I know you've shared it with me over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, but I would love to get your thoughts uh, for people that haven't listened to that uh, just overall on Jalen Rager and how you feel that he could fit into this offense. Well, at the end of the day, we knew that the Eagles were one of the slowest teams in the league going down the stretch last year and actually did an unbelievable job getting to the playoffs with what they did offensively, given their limitations. Uh, So it was clear that they wanted to go for speed. And that was uh, the reason they made Rager to pick and Hightower, who we'll get to, I happen to like Hightower a lot as a prospect, by the way, but Rager is, is a speed guy and he's more than that. But, He clearly has twitch. He's got speed. He's a vertical dimension. He's very good right after catch. I think when all's said and done, if he develops as we would all like him to develop, that he can be a factor against defenses at all three levels of the defense. And I think you can use him as well on jet sweeps, orbit reverses, things of that nature. So I know a lot of people probably would have liked Justin Jefferson. But to me, Justin Jefferson, while I like the player a lot, and I know you do too, I think he's more of those, one of those smooth, polished, works the, in the middle of the field effectively. I think there's a question as to whether Justin Jefferson has the kind of juice that the Eagles were obviously looking for. And um, Rager does. So I think that Jalen Rieger was a really good pick. 
Yeah, I, you know, I think you've been very consistent with that messaging in terms of the, the discussion around Justin Jefferson is, you know, yeah, like really good player, but doesn't have quite that juice that you would say, okay, he can, you know, kind of give that offense that explosive element, be able to work vertical and even be a horizontal stretch player as well. Uh, whereas with Jefferson, uh, maybe you have a little bit more refinement, but Rager's got that explosive element to his game that this Eagles offense sorely needed. Uh, to me, I, I, I loved Jalen Rager on film. I had him as one of my three or four best receivers uh, in this class. So to yep. me, I uh, was really, really excited uh, about the addition. Um, you know, when you take a look at, at John Hightower, you look at a Quez Watkins, you have all three guys that have legitimate speed. I mean, Watkins was, you know, the mid-4.3s. Hightower's the low 4.4s. Uh, Rager was the high 4.4s, but uh, did that at 206 pounds. So, um, you know, I think when you look at all three of these guys, they have the ability – to be a factor outside the numbers and be a factor down the field. To me, my question for you is this, Greg, when you look at how the Eagles have played offense over the last couple of years and the reliance on 12 personnel with one back, two tight ends on the field at once, I'm just excited for this speed element, this extra speed on the field with those two tight ends and what that means for the offense and the challenge that presents to the defense. Well, it also gives them a lot more options with personnel packages. I think we saw it down the stretch that they played a lot of 12 personnel, not necessarily by choice, but out of necessity. We know that Doug Peterson really likes to mix and match personnel packages, likes to be very formation diverse, and I think they were somewhat limited. You can only play with what you have. And obviously, as they sort of went down the stretch, Goddard and Ertz were big-time players for them. Uh, so... I, I really like their approach. And, and John Hightower, he was someone, you know, I just decided to watch him maybe six weeks ago. I have no reason why. It wasn't as if he was on everybody's list near the top. So I, he was totally virgin territory for me when I, when I watched him. And I really like John Hightower. Um, I, I thought that he could be an ascending player. He's got length. He's got fluid movement. He's got speed. I actually thought he showed a sense of route running at times with an understanding of how to use his vertical stem. He's another guy that you can use on jet sweeps and multiple screen concepts. He's naturally quick. He's got some explosive traits. He was a, a player, Fran, the more I watched, the more I liked him. Now, he has to get stronger. And again, you know, not everybody comes in the league. He's a, he was a fifth-round pick, right? Uh, he was a fifth-round pick. Yeah, I believe that's yeah. correct. He's a fifth-round pick for a reason in most cases. My guess is no one – maybe there are some people who loved him and might have seen him as a high three, but he's obviously a fifth-round pick for a reason. So there, that's an area in which he needs to clearly get stronger. Um, I, I thought that he didn't always play to his time speed, but he certainly has explosive elements to his game. Uh, so I was really intrigued by him, and I was kind of glad on, on Saturday when I was watching – uh, that uh, the Eagles picked Hightower. I thought that was a good pick. Yeah, I think with, with both him and Watkins, you've got guys that have been factors down the field, uh, obviously at lower levels of competition outside the Power Five conference, conferences, and still Division One football. But I think when you look at uh, both Hightower and Watkins, you get two guys that can come in, compete, show off that speed, and say, all right, well, let's, kinda, let's let the best man win. Because when you've got Rager, you're bringing back – uh, Deshaun Jackson, you've got Greg Ward, Alshon Jeffrey. We're not sure where he's at with the injury, but you've got a number of guys coming back. So now I'm interested just to watch this camp battle, you know, just see how these receivers are, are able to vie against each other. Special teams will certainly come into play, but uh, both of those guys, Hightower and Watkins, certainly offer that speed uh, that I think that this offense sorely needed. And they have Marquise Goodwin. Sure, yeah, no question. And, oh, what, what, what were your thoughts with that pickup? 
I like that pick a lot because you have to remember where Marquise Good, Goodwin came from. He came from San Francisco. We know he can run. He always could run. He's a track guy from Texas. But when you play for Kyle Shanahan, there's also a precision and nuance and subtlety that is demanded of receivers to run routes. So, well, yes, he is a speed guy. I think he's a little more than that as well. And I thought that was a really good pickup. And, and your point is correct. Now you start looking at all the speed they have on the outside. And I look at Rager as someone who could be an X at times. He could be a movement Z. He could line up in the slot. I think he can line up all over your formation. I think Goodwin can kind of do the same. Um, so they've got players now with great speed who can move around the formation. And I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, the Eagles certainly got better uh, at the wide receiver position over that, that four, three or four-day span. Uh, you know, a lot of bodies added to that room that, you know, will certainly give that offense, I've said it a number of times, will give that offense a shot in the arm. Uh, let's go to the other position here on offense that they did address early, uh, and that's quarterback with Jalen Hurts. <laughs> I'd love to get your thoughts, uh, you know, just overall on the, on the selection, uh, his transition, what you've seen from Jalen Hurts. You and I, I remember you and I being in my office uh, at the Novacare Complex back in September – uh, you know, maybe early October, and you're talking about Hurts and saying, you know what, Fran, he's going to go much earlier than people think um, because of what he can be as a creator at the quarterback position when yeah. you have other guys that have been drafted in recent years that have come out and had that success. So I'd love to get your thoughts on Hurts and that selection and the fit. Well, there is absolutely a sense when you talk to people around the league that that kind of ability, the movement ability – the design quarterback runs, the second reaction ability when it's a called pass, that that has become more important in the NFL game. Now, we can debate the second round pick. That's irrelevant. They drafted him. Um, and the reality is, as much as you and I like Carson Wentz, the fact is he has not finished each of the last three seasons. So that, I'm sure, factored into the pick. Because um, I don't think you draft a player in the second round to be a gimmick player and play five snaps. Now, I don't believe there's a quarterback competition this year at all. Carson Wentz is the quarterback. Sure. But I think down the road, if Carson were to get hurt again meaningfully, I think they view Hurts as a viable NFL starting quarterback in a different way than Carson Wentz is, but a viable quarterback. When you put on the tape with Hurts, number one, you see a highly schemed offense that created a lot of conflict for defenses and defined reads and throws for Hurts. Which, by the way, that's what the Baltimore Ravens do with Lamar Jackson. You see a ton of design quarterback runs, gap scheme, zone read, RPO, inside zone, draw, sweep. The reality is Hertz has the traits of a one-cut downhill runner, almost like a back. Um, does he have limitations at this point as a passer? Yes, he does. He has a tendency to lengthen his delivery, slow down his arm speed, particularly when there are people around him. He's not a guy that necessarily settles comfortably in the pocket. There's a lot of necessary and, un, and uh, wasted movement. He does have that tendency that a lot of athletic quarterbacks have to move when he doesn't need to, but then he's the kind of guy that could then run for 15 yards. So, you know, there's, there's strengths and there's weaknesses in his game. I, I, would, I would not call him, I don't know what you think, I wouldn't really call him a natural thrower, would you? Well, you know what's impressed me is that, you know, watching him on TV over the years, studying him on film, seeing him at the Senior Bowl, every step along the way, I feel like he's gotten better. And then mm. I saw him at the – I saw him throughout the combine. I know you were down close. He threw you, very well at the combine. He threw very well. He threw much better in Indy yeah. than he did in Mobile just a few weeks earlier. So, to me, I'm looking at a guy that is continuing to improve. Yeah. Uh, that, that is one of the things that certainly has stood out to me throughout the process. 
Was Marty Morningwig in Baltimore when they drafted Lamar? I, I'm not sure if he was there when they drafted him, but he certainly was there with them. And then you look at Rich Scangarello, though, you know, what he's done with all the boot action stuff, you know, working with Kyle yeah. Shanahan. I mean, you've got guys on the staff that have done a lot of work with mobile quarterbacks and getting those guys out on the move. Uh, and Carson is certainly one of those guys as well, obviously. Right. But the thing about Hertz is if he were to become the starter at some point, I think you would try to mix and match a combination offense that would – be somewhat conventional, but also mix in a lot of what the Ravens kind of do with Lamar. And uh, it, it would be an interesting mix. But you make a great point because I was on the field watching Hurts throw and standing right near him, obviously, and at the combine. And he threw much better there than he did on tape. Now, obviously, he's not under pressure, but you're right. He threw, you saw him in Mobile. I did not, but he, he threw the ball much better. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people will argue about, you know, the selection and the value and things like that. You, you made the point. The Eagles clearly view him as a guy who is capable of being a starting quarterback in the NFL. And Without question. At, at, that point, at that point in the draft, at 53 overall, late in round two, too good to pass up. You know, and that's, like, that's the, the, the way you kind of look at it is like uh, they view his value as being higher than the 53rd pick. Uh, they've always put a lot of resources into the backup quarterback position. Usually it's, with, it's on the free agent market with you know, paying guys uh, you know, bigger money to be a backup quarterback here. They pick somebody uh, in the draft to, you know, to come in and be that kind of player to me. And, and when you look on the, the, uh, on the outside of it of what he can also be you know, as the backup to Carson Wentz and be a, a package player and do different kind of things with them, uh, certainly that brings some value as well. But they view him as a quarterback and they view him as a starter. And to me, uh, when you, you know, if, you, if that's presented to you and you don't have any other options that you feel really, really good about in that spot, you pull the trigger and you bring that guy into your building. Yeah, and I think for a lot of people in the NFL trying to become more expansive in their offensive thought process, I think for a lot of people now, offense and, and colleges like this, clearly, offense has become a little more about deception and misdirection. And someone like Jalen Hurts plays right into that. It wouldn't surprise me if the Eagles are also excited about putting two guys on the field that can throw the ball, you know, and, and all of a sudden you've, you feel you have more options to create explosive plays. Yep, uh, no question. And, you know, all of that stuff, well, that remains to be seen. We'll see exactly uh, what the Eagles decide to do there. But, uh, look, I think, again, you can make the arguments, you know, about the selection. But, uh, you know, certainly when you look at Jalen Hurts, I, I've said it numerous times on multiple platforms, high athletic upside, you know, oh. certainly a guy that has gotten better uh, as a passer, and then the high intangibles. So when you have those intangibles, you're betting on him being able to reach that upside. And so – uh, you know, to me, I, I think that's the, the rationalization, certainly, for the pick. Uh, Greg, I want to go over to the defensive side. Um, a number of guys I want to hit on with you here. We'll start in the yeah. back with you, the first selection of day three. Clemson safety, Kayvon Wallace, a personal favorite of mine. Uh, I'm not sure if you and I have talked about Kayvon Wallace, but uh, interested to get your thoughts on the, on the very versatile safety from Clemson. Uh, you know what? I really enjoyed watching his tape. He was one of my favorite guys to watch. Um, you know, he's one of those guys that you say to someone, he's a football player and everyone knows what you mean. You know, don't you agree with me? No you know, question. He's a, football, he's a football player. Now, we're going to go a little more into detail, but the question for me was where he plays. Because, I mean, he's got – in college, he played with position versatility. He's got high-level competitiveness and tenacity. I thought, which you don't see a lot of in college, he was a really good tackler. I mean, you don't see that very often. He was a really good tackler. Don't you agree? 
hundred percent. He, I mean, you could see him, you know, squaring up against bigger backs one on one in the hole. And he not only that, but also was just a really good run defender in terms yeah. of just being where he needed to be. He was really comfortable in traffic. Uh, was able to defeat blocks, you know, with his feet, yeah. with his eyes. Like he he did a really really good job up close to the line of scrimmage. So here's the question. Is he a slot corner? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know if he is or not. I mean, you know, I'm sure I know there are a lot of draft people who believe that he is. I'm uncertain as to if that's what he truly is. I almost saw him, Fran, because I agree with you a thousand percent. He was better, much closer to the line of scrimmage. I wonder if he's kind of that hybrid linebacker safety in a dime defense. Yeah, I, I, we've we've talked on this podcast about like the positionless player argument yeah. right? that discussion i think when you look at him and you say okay you know he has a similar skill set to like a what will parks has been you know has been right his career and he can play that kind of role really what malcolm jenkins has done over the course of his career the last couple of years here in philadelphia Kayvon really thrives in that kind of area now there are yes. there are shots of him where he's playing as a post player or playing you know as a too high player but really the the best work that he did I thought was close to the line you know being able to play you know match up in the slot certainly uh, but to me like getting him close to the line of scrimmage and let him you know find the football that, that's where well, he it's funny you say that because in my transition I made the point about hybrid safety linebacker and I said that could be his best projection given that he's much better playing forward and attacking than playing on the back end. It also puts him in position to use his blitzing ability. Wallace's athletic and physical skill set and competitive traits make him better, a better player closer to the line of scrimmage. That's exactly the way I saw him. So let me ask you this question, Greg. So when you look at the way that the Eagles back seven has kind of been constructed over the last, reconstructed over the last couple of months, you look at the acquisition of Darius Slay, one of the best man cover corners in the NFL. You have, you know, you talk, have that discussion about, okay, maybe Jalen Mills becomes more of a matchup player. You get right. Will Parks, you get Kayvon Wallace, you get Nikel Roby Coleman, you keep uh, obviously Avante Maddox. Do you feel like there's a little bit of a shift in terms of how they could play this year in the secondary? It's a great question. I think there's a couple of things that'll be given. Number one, Nicole Roby Coleman is a slot corner. That's what he's been his whole career. Yep. But beyond that, I think they've got a bunch of players who positionless might be too strong a word, but can certainly do multiple things. I think that Parks can do that. I think Maddox can do that. Um, Wallace, if he gets into that mix, I think he can do that. So do we maybe see Jim Schwartz, who's obviously a very smart man, and been doing this a long time, and studies. Do we see him maybe moving things around a little bit, depending on the the, the week to week opponent? You know, and maybe you know, because ultimately, what you're trying to do is win every week. You know, you don't have to play the same way. You know, we don't know the schedule yet, but at the end of the day, you're trying to match up to your opponent. And if you have players who can do multiple things, maybe it comes down to a specific opponent and how you play. You know, we talk about offenses all the time in terms of, you know, the, all the best offenses have lots of different ways to be able to beat you. Defensively on the back seven, it lo- seems like they're constructing a group that they've got answers for whatever the offense wants to try and do. Yes, that's a great point. And maybe that's the – I mean, it seems like the plan based on what they've done in the offseason. Because I know since they made the – since they uh, signed Will Parks, I know you studied him. But before you had studied him, I told you that he played all over because I had studied the Broncos' defense for a number of years. Yep. And I like Will Parks, and I, I bet you did too after you looked at him. He's another very, very versatile player. In some ways, he's just like Malcolm Jenkins. 
Right. Uh, that's, the, that's the fun part about this is just going to be able to see how this defense is going to look and how they're going to try and match up the people on a weekly basis. Uh, and I think you could say the same thing, honestly, Greg, about the third-round pick, Davion Taylor. You know, when you look at the linebacker yeah. spot, uh, what he was asked to do in Colorado – I mean, he basically played a similar kind of role to, like, Minka Fitzpatrick. I mean, he, was play, he played uh, very often in the slot, spent a ton of time lining up over number two, over number three, to the field, yeah. uh, to the wide side of the field. I mean, he's a, a very, very athletic player uh, with a lot of upside and hasn't played a ton of football, so you're assuming his best football is ahead of him. Uh, they select another athletic linebacker in Sean Bradley. Interesting to get your thoughts on, on those two guys and ultimately how they can transition to this defense as well. Well, Taylor was the fascinating guy because he was a third-round pick, man. So as a third-round pick, he's not a throwaway pick. Like, oh, we, we like him, but, you know, we'll take him. I, I would see him as a guy they would hope could play, could play particularly in the sub-defense. Um, that's what he is at this point because he's got that kind of versatility. Um, he's another guy that fits. It's a great transition because he kind of fits that positional sub-defender uh, role that we're talking about. I mean – his college tape shows that he can handle different positions effectively. He's got speed. He's got range. I thought he was kind of a, a, a good tackler. When he got there, he tackled. Yep. Yep. I wouldn't 100%. call him you know, an explosive, violent, physical player, but when he got there, he tackled. Yep. Um, so, you know, I guess the term I might use, he was a high-frequency tackler. He got there. Um, he was a really intriguing guy. I mean, he's, he certainly has the athletic traits to match up man-to-man on tight ends. He's got extensive experience in uh, underneath co- uh, coverage. Um, the question down the road is whether he can become a three-down linebacker because he didn't play a ton as a stacked linebacker. Yep. You know, that wasn't his thing. So can he do that down the road? But I don't think he was drafted where he was to be a three-down linebacker this year. Yeah, I think that when you look at, uh, you know, the, the selection, they clearly view him down the road to be a, a three-down player. But he's got Correct. to grow a little bit. He's got to grow into that role for sure. Uh, but this is a guy who certainly year one, day one, should be able to step in and be an outstanding special teams player and grow into that role. Very similar to some of the other guys that we've seen, right? So we've seen Kamu Grugier-Hill. We've seen uh, Nate Gary, right? These guys with yep. a lot of backgrounds. The Eagles acquired another one in Jatavis Brown this offseason. Brown, uh, playing at Akron, played a very similar role. I'm a, I don't know if you remember uh, the role. I do. Akron, but it was very similar, right, Greg? Well, what we've seen on both sides of the ball is the Eagles have decided to get faster and more athletic. Yeah. That is clearly what they they decided to do in this offseason on both sides of the ball. They had a plan, and they and they executed the plan. We don't know how everybody will work out. No one knows that, but clearly that's the plan. Um, and now you mentioned Sean Bradley, who's actually from the next town over from where I'm sitting in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. He's from Mount Holly, went to Cocos Valley High School, and ended up staying at home at Temple, three-year starter. Really nice college player. He's a stacked linebacker. You know, yep. we talked about Taylor being – out of the box uh, and playing, you know, the overhang position and playing bumped out. Bradley's the exact opposite. Bradley's a stacked linebacker. And I actually thought he had a really good feel for scraping, flowing, and avoiding inside and making tackles. To me, I think the reason he was a fifth-round pick is he's just not quite as athletic as you'd like. In, In many ways, he played like Patrick Queen, but he's just not quite that athletic. You know, and if he was more athletic, he'd be, he would have been a higher pick. But I thought that he was a good player. Like, he's one of those guys that I don't want to say I struggle with when I watch him because I, he, he is what he is, and I liked him a lot. But 
I can't tell if those guys, because they sort of lack that that athleticism you'd ultimately like to see, if a guy like that can become a good player or if at the end of the day he's not quite athletic enough and he's not going to make it. You know, I can't decide that. What was your thoughts? I believe it was 2013, Greg, the spring of 2013. I remember being in your office at NFL Films and we were sitting down to watch a linebacker from Florida State named Nigel Bradham. Yep. How, how similar do you feel that Bradley is to Bradham? I was thinking about this yesterday. Um, I feel like in terms when you look at like the size, the way they're built, he might have a little bit more juice in a straight line, but I think you still had some of those co- same uh, limitation questions with Bradham coming out. He was an early day three pick. Yeah. Um, I guess, tr- again, I'm trying to think back to watching Bradham in college. Right. Yeah. I think the way Bradham ended up playing in the NFL and maybe Bradley can too. I think Bradham, played in the NFL with a little more juice than Bradley showed at Temple. But maybe Bradley can develop that. Um, you know, you usually can make guys more athletic in a strict sense. Like Bradley's right. not going to become a great athlete next week, you know. But may, maybe you're right. I mean, I don't know what you thought. I kind of liked the way Bradley played. I just, like I said, thought that he didn't quite have enough juice to his game. Yeah, I think when you look at Bradley, I mean, he went and ran low four fives at two, you know, at two hundred thirty pounds in Indianapolis. And I'm not sure he played like that all yeah. the time, though. Yeah, yeah. he did. I know he did. He dealt with some injuries and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, certainly a guy that uh, I'm interested to see how he how he does this summer. Last guy I want to hit on with you, Greg, uh, staying in the front seven. The final pick uh, of the draft was Casey Toole, the linebacker, uh, uh, edge rusher from Stanford. Uh, played as you know a left outside linebacker in that three four scheme. Excited to get your thoughts on the seventh-round pick. He's intriguing to me because he showed some pass rush traits. He's long. He's athletic. I wouldn't call him explosive and sudden, but there were snaps in which he showed the ability to bend a little bit for a tall guy. He's about 6'4". You know, not super bendy, but he wasn't stiff trying to uh, turn the corner. Um, Showed some more than functional speed closing to the quarterback. Um, I don't think he's a real strong point of attack player, but I don't think he was drafted for that. I think, he, you know, if he were to make it, he'd make it because he could rush the quarterback in sub packages. And I also think he's got the kind of skill set where you can move him around. If Jim Schwartz decides to become a little more creative defensively this year, as, as we discussed with some of the other players, and we don't know this, there's no offseason. Right. But if he did, I think Tool could become the kind of guy that you can move around a little bit as a joker. He struck me as that kind of player. That's what I was going to bring that up. You know, I think that, you know, obviously they're different body types, but I wonder <laughs> if he can be used in terms of the role, similar to like a Jannard Avery, similar to what we saw yep. last like a Joe Osman uh, coming out of Central Michigan. I wonder if he could be used in that same kind of way. I thought that he was really good on stunts and the different games that they yes. had up front for Stanford. Yes, I agree with you. And, uh, and he clearly showed flash. And, uh, you know, again, for whatever it's worth, he also had a good combine. He, yep. he showed some good athleticism in, the, in those particular measurables and particular drills. So I found him to be a fascinating choice. He had a really nice senior year at Stanford. Um, but it's the pass rush ability. Uh, and, and like you say, he was used effectively on stunts. I think, you know, when, when you draft a guy in the seventh round, you're drafting Different teams have different philosophies, but he's he's a long, athletic, kind of toolsy player, and you know he's one of those interesting guys. You know, you just wish I just wish you'd get a chance to see him. You know, in a normal year with OTAs at camp, because I think he'd be a fascinating guy to kind of chart his development. But we're not going to get that opportunity. So as we sit here now, Greg, it's uh, it's the it's May first. It's the first day of May. 
as you mentioned, the Eagles certainly came into this offseason trying to get faster on both sides of the football. The, the offseason's far from over. Uh, you know, the Eagles just signed the, the other day, uh, brought back Corey Clement. Uh, we don't know what else is on the horizon in terms of guys they can bring in and bring out. So it's not like the offseason is over. But seeing the big, the big moves now, both in the draft and in free agency, uh, what are your thoughts on just what they did to kind of reshape this roster going into twenty? Well, as is the, always the case, all I can do is is give you my um, view of the players and, and yep. what they did, and I think they did a really good job. I think what I liked is they had a plan, they executed the plan. Now, is every player going to work out? No, they never do. We know that, and that doesn't mean they made a mistake. No team has every player work out, but clearly. They wanted to get faster on both sides of the ball. They clearly did on offense. That was absolutely critical because at the end of the day, they know they have got an inerts who are really solid players and who can work the passing game in the short to intermediate areas and be really effective. So they wanted to get, they wanted to have vertical dimensions. I think on defense, you made a phenomenal point. Not only did they get faster on defense as well with the signing of Brown and the drafting of Taylor, but they also now have a lot of players who can play multiple positions. And there's no question that the NFL seems to be moving in that direction to match up to offenses. Uh, so that, that to me is also a really good planning. We'll see how all these players work out, but I thought they had a really strong approach and they stuck to their approach. Well, Greg, it's going to be certainly fun to see how this group comes together uh, over the course of the next couple of months, certainly whatever offseason we have, and then also uh, once the season kicks off here uh, in August and September. Greg, thanks so much for joining us once again on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Rand. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know – I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. Here's one person I want to give a quick shout out to. That's D Jansen 22, who left a five-star review saying loves the show each off season feels the momentum of the season coming. It has a great feel for the team and future players. I feel like the acquisition of Jalen Rager alongside Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey should help JJ Ortega Whiteside find openings being that he won't have to be the number one or number two wide receiver. What are your thoughts? So, yeah, I think when, you know, we talked about it earlier with Greg, I think when you have speed on the outside with Rager, with Deshaun Jackson, with Hightower, with Watkins, however that receiving core shapes up to be here in 2020, you're going to have more speed than you did 12 months ago. So I think ultimately when you add that influx of speed to this roster, to this depth chart, that's going to help. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, sure, but it's also going to help Greg Ward over the slot. It's also going to help Zach Gertz. It's also going to help Jay, uh, Dallas Goddard. It's going to help Miles Sanders. When you have those guys on the outside, and let's just say, for sake of argument, it's Jalen Rager and it's Deshaun Jackson on the outside, on either side, you know, on any, any, any given play. It's first and ten, it's third and long, however you want to call it. You're now forcing the defense to respond. Either they're going to have to go too high and say, okay, we need to protect against this speed on either side. Or they're going to take their chances, go you know, single high with one safety in the middle of the field, corners on the outside, essentially manned up one-on-one, even if it's cover three or whatever it is, you're still going to have one-on-one on the outside. And now you're going to say, okay, pick your poison. Because now uh, if they don't respond, if they do you know, keep that safety back, that's going to open things up over the middle. If not, then you're going to take your chances with those guys on the outside. So uh, you know, that's, there's obviously a little bit more depth to that, but I want to just kind of narrow that down. Really, that's when you have that level of speed on the field with multiple players that can run 
uh, vertically downfield, that certainly opens things up for these guys. I can't, I mentioned earlier with Greg, I've said it on other shows that uh, I cannot wait to see what this offense looks like when you've got those two tight ends on the field and that level of speed. To me, that really opens up that package, makes it a little bit more effective. Maybe we won't see more in terms of reps, but I think we'll see, uh, certainly see uh, more productive reps from the times that those guys are on the field together. Cannot wait. And as I mentioned too, it certainly helps Miles Sanders as well, because if you are having to pull some guys out of the box and out to the perimeter to help defend against speed, now you've got a lighter box that you can run into. So uh, all these guys, I think, are going to be positively affected by the, you know, the presence of Deshaun and the rest of the speed with Jalen Rager and all the other guys that they've added. So thanks so much to Dee Jansen uh, for that comment. Thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eli of the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.